and welcome back to another episode of A Real Page Turner with Donnie Granza and Mara Maros. Hi, Donnie. Hi, Mara. It's good to be back for another episode. Yeah, Very we have special. A special book this week for Earth Day, The Lorax by Dr. Seuss, and the movie of the same name. And we have our special guest with us this week, our good friend from Wilkes University, Allison Richter. Hi, Allison. Hi, Mara. Hi, Donnie. Thanks for joining uh-huh. us today um, and to talk about the differences between the book and the movie and some overarching themes. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So the book um, was published, obviously, by Dr. Seuss in 1971. So it's an old book, but a relatively new movie. Right, Donnie? Yeah, the movie uh, The movie uh, debuted on uh, March 2nd, 2012, which is Dr. Seuss's birthday, Dr. Seuss's birthday, and also my birthday as well. So I had to add that in there. Um it was uh, written by Cinco Paul and Ken DeRio and directed by Chris Renard. It features uh, a voice cast, including um, Danny DeVito as the Lorax, also at Helms, Zac Efron, Taylor Swift, and the late, great Betty White. Uh, it was um, it debuted, it was um, a financial success, uh, but only received like kind of mixed critical reviews, as many thought that like it um, was kind of too much like that the book you know was more simplistic and it kind of expanded a little too too much uh too much and um, so that was uh, just some of the criticisms about it but it was you know does have a very uh was big with kids and uh does have some great messages behind it both the book and the movie yeah, when I was reading a more a little bit on the book, um, I read that this was doc- one of Doctor Seuss's favorites of his books, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, he was a little like older one. He was in his like sixties when he, you know, uh, wrote it and was um, so he was like very well established in his career at that. And so it's interesting very- that that's one of his favorites when it's arguably one of the saddest. Yeah, very sad. I think it's interesting that, you know, 1971 was going to be really bad at math right here. Like what, 40, 41 years ago? 51 years ago. 50? Yeah. I told you I was bad at math. Time is is relative. (laughs) (laughs) 51 years ago that the messages around environment are still pertinent in the 2012 movie and 10 years later today. So it's kind of interesting that he had that almost like foresight to write about it in 1971. Exactly. Yeah, because I had heard that, like, you know, a lot of, like, Dr. Seuss books had, like, a lot of themes and, you know, kind of, like, had some heavy subject matter to it that was, you know, obviously uh, created in a very popular sense for children, you know, just kind of speaks to his uh, brilliance as a writer. But so I had heard that it was that like there were some like overarching themes about and environmentalism and that. But when I did like read the book and watch the you know and watch the movie, I was because I was kind of like surprised. It's like wow, this is pretty blatant. Like it's not just like a subtext or something. It's kind of like in in your face with you know how he felt about these issues, which was kind of refreshing. Yeah, Elsa, what did you think? I think I agree with what Donnie is saying that. It is not sugarcoated, which is surprising coming from Dr. Seuss, you know, even with the fun names and, you know, what the trees are called in the town and the characters, it's immediately depressing to see this contrast between when everything is happy and healthy and the colors in the book are so bright 
And you see that shift in the darkness that comes with the factory and the trees getting chopped down and just the entire shift in the tone. And that's something a child would immediately recognize too. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, because, you know, you not that you lose it because, you know, with like Sneed, the, the Sneed and the Sneedville mm-hmm. and the Truffle of Trees, you know, like it, everything does have a cute name, but, and then all that rhyming, you kind of still get the point that, you know, there wasn't a lot of foresight into what happened when all the truffler trees were gone and the downstream effects to the wildlife and the, you know, the environment. Yeah. And I think his use of repetition in showing, um, you know, the Lorax continuously knocking on the door and saying, you know, okay, now this has happened. I've warned you. Now I have to warn you again, like that repetition of, and just the continual degradation of the colors and the whole, the trees and just that entire village. Ugh, it's, it's, I remember being upset by it when I was little and I'm still upset by it when I read it now, you know? <laughs> and I thought that the movie did really well was there, you know, there's the scene in the book where they talk about the hummingbird fish being covered in sludge and clogging up their gills and the, I'm going to get them wrong. They look like bears, but they called them something else. I can't remember the names. I know. I can't remember they're called either. And they talk, he talks about that in the book and he paints that picture. And then I thought the movie did a really good job of like furthering that illustration, right? Like you see the fish covered in sludge and you, uh, the humming, hummingbird fish, and you see them, the little, whatever they're called, bears, like leaving. And I think that that's what I really liked about the movie, that they did that in a a very good manner as they took that image and expanded upon it in the movie. Yeah, Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, it was, um, they kind of like change it a little bit because they know like in the book it would have, you know, like one by one, like the, you know, different animals like we leaving and the Lorax explaining why they were leaving. But, you know, in the, the movie, it kind of just all combined it and just created that one. You know, it was a devastating scene. It was like, it made me almost cry when like after the one slur has expanded and sang his song about how, you know, how, how bad could I be or something. And he, and then at the end, as like, there's no habitat for the animals anymore. They all just kind of like march in sequence and just, you know, going down the hill with that. It's like, oh God, I was like, are you kidding? <laughs> like, this is, you know, deep, heavy stuff, you know, but it's, it was effective. <laughs> and in the movie, they have the character of the mayor too, right? Like they're like in the city. Is yeah. the mayor a part of it? Yeah, because they have, so I, the movie... I think tries to insulate the community into what's happening on the outside. Okay. That devastation, because they take it a bit, I think a bit further in the movie with commercialism and corporate greed, because they show that hair guy who's selling air. Right. Yeah. That's not in the book. Pure in there. And that's not in the, and that is, you know, that's an expanded upon for the movie. Um, And what I also really liked about the movie when you saw it is that, like they start out with um, everything's battery operated. Like the trees are battery operated. And I remember them saying like each tree takes 19 batteries and they have like settings you could put it on like summer, spring, winter, fall, disco. And <laughs> they had nothing that was real. 
everything was manufactured. I think the trees were like blow up trees. And then these, the leaves were, you know, they were all battery operated. And that was by design by that O'Hare company when then they were then going to sell air. So, you know, I think they took it a step further with the showing like how marketing makes people believe one thing and, and corporate greed. And then, you know, you have the the main character, Ted, who gets out of there and goes, finds the onceler because, you know, in true fashion of a book and a, in a movie, there's a love, you know, there's a love angle, you know, he wants to oppress a girl, um, which is his impetus for going out and finding that. So I like, I think the movie did a good job of like, you know, taking the book pages and expanding upon it into something that, you know, what kids would kind of relate to in a more colorful, you know, the music is good. And I think, you know, I think like we said, the book is sad, right? And it doesn't give you a lot of comic relief, which is what I think the character of Betty White is set to do. Right. Yeah, she was she was very sweet. <laughs> she was really he, funny. Yeah. And you could tell you could tell it was Betty White. Like sometimes like with cartoon movies and I'll see like who who voiced it. I was like, really? That was them? But like that was like as soon as she opened her mouth, it's like, yeah, it's Betty. Sweet Betty. <laughs> And what I thought was funny, like they talked about like what I, what I thought, and this is my thoughts is like the Betty White character, like she knew the backstory of the Wunsler and the Lorax, but she was like kind of passing down generational knowledge to the grandson, which was kind of interesting. I don't know. I just thought it was funny that she was, was kind of somebody who was probably there through some of it and then was just used to living a different way. But I loved the, um, I loved that they stayed true to what you had to offer the Wunsler. Like the grandfather's snail shell, and there was something else. And I thought that was really cute. Oh yeah, what they had, what he has to put in the the bucket. the bucket. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was was really good. Yeah. What and um, speaking of the the grandson, the Zach Efron's character Ted, uh, it's kind of funny. Both him and um his uh, love interest uh, Audrey. Uh, funny little thing I noticed is that they they were named after um Dr. Seuss's real name. Ted and his wife Audrey. Oh, so, really? yeah, I thought because oh. in the book, um, he's um, he the character doesn't have a name; he's just like the boy or something. But one thing I did want to touch on because he said like it is very um, was, the message is very like anti corporate greed and kind of like anti capitalist. And uh, one thing that I read about that was like um, not like about the movie itself, but in the marketing, there was a controversy is that I think like Ma- Mazda used like the likeness of the Lorax and the setting and characters in an advertisement for their uh, SUV. And people said, it's like, that's very ironic. Like why will they do that? Like, did they, do they even know the movie or the book at all? And it's message. That's very, that's, but you know, yeah. 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 <laughs> In real life. And Allison, you said you noticed some, you were doing some research too and noticed that there was some other kind of controversy around. So I know that it was banned at some point, I think in California. Um, I think there was a blurb about it in the book that I read, like whatever version that was. Um, And it had to do with the logging industry in California. I don't know what year this had happened, but for a time they were trying, I don't know if they did end up removing it, but some places were not happy about this book because it would hurt their industry and the people that were working for this industry. And 
I, it's just interesting because you can understand, especially being from Pennsylvania, as we all are, you know, these families that worked in these industries. But then once it goes too far, especially as we've seen with factory farming or just like the overproduction, which I think the movie touches on more than the book does, just the depletion. If if you go too far, then that's how you end up with the Lorax knocking at your door, hopefully, or you become the Lorax. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. And it, I would be so interested to like, you know, see what young kids think about who read this book. Like, how does that affect them? And see the movie, right? Like, are they getting the messages in a clear way? I don't know. I'd like to think that they are. Um, but you you don't you don't know, right? Because some of it gets caught up in that, in the kind of the vividness of the movie and the songs. But I right. wonder, like, I think the kids are smart enough to get the, you know, the overall message. Well, and I know. I know that some some lessons around Earth Day do touch on the Lorax. I remember in high school, my science, my biology teacher um, had brought up the Lorax and we discussed it. And <laughs> so it's definitely a book that's been used educationally. Is it still being used? I would hope so. I know that there's been other issues with Dr. Seuss books. But I don't know. It's interesting. I'll have to ask around. Yeah. And so what do you make of like, as the book kind of in the movie closes, when he says like, unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. Well, it it's a call to action. I think for a child, it, it makes them feel like they do have the power to make change, which is important. And that's why I love Dr. Seuss. You know, he's, he inspires young minds to believe in themselves and believe that they can help make the world a better place. Um, And just the theme of being against people that are greedy, like no good will ever come of that. Not for them, not for anybody else. So it's an important lesson. And I think it, it is empowering to hear that it's an empower, it's an empowering uh, quote for adults, you know? I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I think we, you know, I think otherwise people think like someone else is going to do something about it. Yeah. And this kind of quote makes you realize like it's not going to be somebody else or it could, you know, what can I do and not wait for someone else to make a change or do something that I think is a good like kind of, you know, illustration of that, that people, you know, tend to think someone else is going to do something. And also just... With with a somewhat heavy topic, you know, it is sad just the to realize that this one seed, the last seed, you know, that's all it would take to grow a whole new forest. Like it doesn't have to be this overwhelming thing. Like you can plant one seed and make that step. The metaphor of just one seed is an important lesson in and of itself. Yeah. And I loved that scene in the book, you know, when the grandmother and the mother started to come, I mean, in the movie started to come around and help him. And, you know, they were all chasing that seed and someone didn't want the seed, you know, that O'Hare heir didn't want the seed because he knew that a real tree would help the air quality. And, you know, and I thought that was like really a great kind of ending to the story, obviously that, you know, they got that seed and the whole family was then going to like, you know, take care of this. 
I like that the movie shows how that is affecting generations, which is something the book is obviously simple, you know, and more focused on what the the cause and effect was rather than like the the external ripple effect of how everyone else has been affected by this, you know, not just the animals, but the emotions of the characters. Yeah, that's a great point. I do agree with that. Like, yeah, like everyone does like get affected and, you know, and you see like at the end how they, you know, are coming together and like, even you know, and kind of like drown out the O'Hare character and how like who, you know, is very stubborn and then you do think he's coming around and then he like diverse a little and it says you know and it's still just as greedy but as he's like asking for people to join in and sees how no one joins him in so and it's funny how like just like earlier in the scene when like the townspeople kind of like were buying into him a little bit and like they wanted to destroy the seed until ted took the uh bulldozer and drove through the the wall to see so they could see all the destruction on the other side and that was kind of the the kicker to uh bring the whole town around very interesting yeah you have me thinking about that scene because i'm thinking like you know it has a bigger meaning right and i'm trying to think how you put it into words like you it's like everything was an illusion until he made on that wall to show what was really happening and you made me just think of that donnie when you said that because i mean you know, I think we probably are looking into this movie and book probably a lot more than <laughs> anybody who read it the first time. You get a message, right? But maybe people go back and look at it now and go, oh, you know, that's, I didn't really like think of that way before or, you know, not that we're scholars by any level. But, no, that's a great point. You yeah. know, like if you go back, you maybe think, oh, okay. You know, how does that relate to what's going on in the world today? Yeah, it's, that's an important image because not only for the character of he took action and did something, but he literally tore down their, like you said, their wall of illusion, you know, they just wanted to block it out. And he's like, no, look, look at it. Yeah, it's an important metaphor. Uh, and it's funny, like, you know, and some people may like dismiss Dr. Susan and say, like, oh, he, you know, was for kids and he, you know, it was, uh, made things rhyme and was cute colors and colorful characters and that. But like, it was a very profound writer who had, you know, less, um, really touched on lots of issues. So a very, it's, I always find it fascinating when, you know, instead of like being like in your face and your issues where you're able to use like kind of the sub- subtext and using um, comedy and animation and uh, songs to convey convey a message. That's, a, that's why I always prefer like movies like in other genres than to dramas, which I feel just are just blatant show you how terrible it is. It's more creative uh, to put a message under the guise of something else. Yeah, or to help the reader um, draw their own conclusion, you know, which I think is exactly what you're touching on with Dr. Seuss. So happy Earth Day, everyone. (laughs) Go go plant a seed, just one, all it takes. Did you used to, uh, I don't know if it was Earth Day, but what day was it? Did we used to get a tree at school? Arbor Day. Arbor Day. Arbor Day. Arbor Day. We always got our tree on Arbor Day. It's actually a week after. It's the the 29th. <laughs> okay. So. I don't know that the kids get those trees anymore. I don't think my they kids should. Are Everyone should get a tree. Yeah. yeah. 
I didn't yeah. know that. I'll have to. Uh, so we can be like the Lorax and speak for the trees. You can see if they come home with an arbor tree. I don't think they have. But that used to be a big deal. Yeah, I got them. Yeah. So go plant your tree or your garden or whatever, whatever floats your boat, right? Yeah. Great. Well, anything else you guys wanted to talk about tonight, today? Mm-hmm. Well, I think we about covered it. I think, you know, it's a great book, you know, very good movie and, you know, important message. Go get your green thumbs out and plant a tree. Do it, people. Allison, thank you so much for joining us and giving us your perspective. It's thank always you. enlightening and we really appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Yeah. And listener, keep reading. And keep watching.